You found yourself in Marin Covenant Church. We're really glad that you're here. Um, I was talking with some friends of ours, and I don't know, if, if I say a couple terms, I just need you to vote with your hands. How many of you have heard of a family Christian bookstore? Have any of you heard of those? Any of you ever hear of this radio station called K-Love? K-Love. It's like a Christian radio station. Positive, encouraging words, positive music, something like that. So there's people who come from parts of our country. There's places the world used to be where there would be this like Christian culture. And then all the cool Christians would stand next to it and go, those guys are lame. But here's how real Christianity happens. And you could have been in the lame part or you could have been in the cool part over here drafting. Um, and it worked. It served the church well, it served Christians well for a long time. Um, but we happen to live in a context where there's no family Christian bookstore, where there is no K-Love, where there's no uh, big mega church on the hill and everyone's going, who are those guys? And we stand next to them and go, those guys are lame, but let me tell you about really what Jesus is. Uh, we live in a context where there's none of those things. And so when we try to figure out what does it mean to know and love Jesus, there's not really these hooks, there's not these anchors that we either get to tap into or we get to step to the side and make fun of and say this is how it is. There's just nothing. And, uh, and so we're in this incredible series, which I think is so fun because we are not going, this is what family Christian bookstores say, this is what Caleb says. We're saying this is what Christians have said and done and run after ever since Christendom began. These are markers on this journey of faith. And they're markers that both point to where we go, but they're also markers that we can recognize and reflect and go, those things are actually happening inside of me. And so it does this twofold thing. And so we came up with this uh, definition of what markers are. And let's just read it together as a church. It says, these markers help us know that we are on the well-worn path toward becoming fully devoted, lifelong followers of Jesus. So these markers, the series we're in, we're going to look at seven different markers, and that's what these markers are. They help us know that we are on the well-worn path. Christians for 2,000 years have walked this certain way, and these markers are the ones that point towards Jesus as well as confirm that Jesus is at work with us. And, uh, and last week, um, Jeff just did this incredible talk on chastity. What in the world is chastity? And... Um, and really, we're like, awesome, we're going to lead off our series with sexual purity. How fun is that? And, uh, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of sound like, is that the best idea? And, um, but this is hands down the best message about sexual purity I've ever heard in my entire life. It was very convicting as a man who wrestles with uh, longing to be sexually pure, as well as so hope-filled about the, the, the process and the, and the way that God has. This is a well-marked path. It's not about doing it all by ourselves alone, but it is about moving towards Christ. And I love Jeff's first point. It says that the way, the, the way that we do this is not about trying so hard to be good religious people or quit being total horn dogs or whatever your problem is. He didn't say horn dogs. That's just my way I understood it. Um, but we, the thing that shapes us is that we live to please God. And these markers, that at the end of the day, it's this discipleship, a series about wanting to live to please God, that Jesus is not only our Savior with his arms wide open, he's the King, he's the Lord, and we as, as, uh, as followers, we want to lean into that. We want to live to please God. So this week, uh, that was last week, Chastity, this week uh, we're going to talk about generosity. Um, and this is the definition I came up with for, uh, that actually Wikipedia came up for, with generosity for us. It says this, it's the quality that shows a readiness to give more of something, such as money or time, than is strictly uh, necessary or expected. And what's interesting about generosity is all of us want to be good people. We've all found kind of the appropriate way to give, to do certain things so that we feel good about ourselves. And people go, oh, that person's not a total jerk. That's kind of like our baseline. Um, but generosity is leaning in and saying, no, it's giving more. It's giving an abundance of what is strictly necessary or, um, 
or what is expected. And, uh, and as we'll see, it, it involves so much more than money. We're going to talk about money in a little bit, but it involves our resources and our talents and our theology and our hearts. It involves all these things. And, uh, and I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this message. Um, I have worked so hard, 20 years, to be able to walk into a church and have a microphone that's Pastor Ben's microphone. Like, do you even know, as a youth worker who gets to preach on Christmas, uh, the, the Sunday after Christmas, for, you know, for 20 years, to go to a church and like, that's Ben's microphone? This moment, this 25 minutes is my moment. I've worked so hard for it, and I'm white-knuckling this time. And as I was thinking about praying and being generous, I was, uh, there's this student who I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this most incredible student, and she's so generous. And I'm like, I know, I'll tell the story of this, this student. That would be so fun. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, what I'll do is when it's time for to get that point, I'll have her actually share her little story, and that'll be really fun. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, what generosity is, is out of abundance. What's strictly expected would be to tell a fun story. To be generous maybe would be to give her a little moment to share. But what might be totally generous is this moment that I've worked so hard to have. My moment, 30% of the time, I actually get a share. And, uh, and so this morning, um, I am so pleased and, uh, and privileged and honored, and I'm sure you may encourage too, that I get to share this preaching moment with one of, uh, just an incredible student. Uh, her name's Haley Skinner. And so we can do a little more than a golf clap. Welcome her up, and she's going to begin our sermon together. <laughs> All right, Hi, everyone. Wow. Never done this before. It's kind of crazy. Um, okay, so we're talking about the virtue of generosity, and this can be seen throughout Scripture, um, this willingness or even desire to help others and better the world, no matter the cost of your personal self, um, is greatly portrayed in the passage of Luke 10, 25 through 47. So, um, I'm going to be reading that. Feel free to read along with me in the Bibles in front of you. They're underneath your chairs. Okay. okay, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in this scripture, we hear a man ask Jesus what he has to do in order to inherit eternal life. 
Jesus responds with the basic commands to love God and your neighbor. Now we hear that all the time, but what does that really look like? The first command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and your strength means that every area of our lives should be focused on him and nothing should be held back. God desires a relationship with us. He shows us that his love is constantly pouring out on us, whether we like it or not, whether we feel we deserve it or not. However, a relationship cannot be one-sided. Although God wants us to obey him, he also wants our love. He wants every part of us to love him. Our mind, our heart, our strength, our soul, everything that makes you, you. He says, I want you. I want your fears, your desires, your weaknesses, your intellect, everything you carry, everything you are. I want it all. And I want you to love me with it all. The second command he makes is to love your neighbor as yourself. This fueled the man's question of who really is my neighbor? Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a man traveling fell into the hands of robbers, was stripped, beaten, and left half dead in the street. Jesus tells about three different people also traveling alone on the same road, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. First a priest and then a Levite walked by, but they both, both looked at this traveler and chose to pass by on the other side of the road. They saw him, yet they chose to turn their heads on him. Priests and Levites were both Jews who had different jobs around the temple. Priests were authorized to perform sacrifices, while the Levites were set apart to help these priests. Worship in the temple could not have taken place without the combined efforts of the priests and Levites. However, if they were to come into contact with a dead body, they would be unable to worship and would become unclean in the eyes of society. The traveler laying in the, in the middle of the street may have appeared dead, so the priest and the Levite did not want to risk it. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and had compassion on him. He reached out to help the man. He showed him mercy. This comes as a surprise to many readers who would have expected the priest or the Levite to help the man. But instead, it was the hated Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other deeply. Jesus saw them, Jews saw themselves as true descendants of Abraham, while Samaritans were only seen as half-breeds. So when Jesus introduced the Samaritan man into the story, it came as a shock to many listeners, as they would have not expected the Samaritan to help a Jewish man. Not only did the Samaritan stop in his tracks to help the Jewish traveler, but he took pity, bandaged his wounds, and even put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn. These acts of the Samaritan are acts of generosity. It is going above and beyond. It is being ready to give more and more out of your abundance. Like Ben was talking about, this abundance is twofold. On one hand, it is an attitude of the heart. When we grow and understand how truly blessed in Christ we are, it is then out of an overflow that we can be so generous with others. This is usually the way we want to approach a passage like this. But Jesus isn't just talking about generosity as simply something we do once we understand how blessed we are. We are generous because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus was generous and calls his followers to do the same. In this story, the Samaritan is choosing this unlimited loving kindness towards others and to show mercy. This is not an easy act, but one that is modeled to us by the one we follow. The Samaritan sacrificed his time, his donkey, his inn. 
But God tells us that this is what we are made to do. We are called to have mercy on one another, to love our neighbor no matter who they may be. These actions reflect the nature of God. This Samaritan understood what it meant to help someone in need, to be a neighbor, regardless of racial or social tensions. When we do this, we lean into generosity. This virtue of generosity is a marker Jesus calls us to run after. It shows us that we are on the path and in the process of being transformed by our Lord Jesus. Our ability to act generously is being shaped because of our love for God. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, they don't even clap for me. That's brutal. Well, the um, boy, that's just we're just not, we're just getting started, everybody. So. We, uh, we want to unpack three different ways that we think uh, we're, we're called to be generous in the way that, um, in the way that Jesus invites us to. Uh, the first one um, is the idea with, with money. And we think of generosity, it always comes back to money. And uh, it's so easy to get all judgy with the priests and the Levites. They go, oh, those guys were such jerks. But the truth is they were such good religious people. And uh, in, in that version of Judaism, um, part of being righteous was giving to charity. There was a whole system in place that they already leaned into. They already tithed to the temple. They already gave to local charities and soup kitchens. In fact, it was looked down upon to just simply help somebody in need, especially if someone was going to see you do it. It meant that you were prideful and you did this act of worship in front of other people. And so in trying to be good religious people, it would make sense for them to walk over like, listen, I gave uh, to the temple, I've given to soup kitchens, and I've given to charities, and those those people who I've given to are going to come to the aid of this person. That's what good, noble, religious people do. And Jesus, I mean, just is so offensive because he says, you guys actually miss it. It's this Samaritan, this despised person who actually is the one who shows mercy. This despised person is the one who's actually righteous. And gosh, that, that would just be so offensive. And so when I think of for us as Christians, as people who know and love Jesus, and we want to lean into this marker of generosity, what does that mean? That we are people who hold our resources, who hold our money loosely, who give it freely. And for the longest time, um, for those of us who have been around the church, there's all this baggage around money. And so we just think, we just take that one passage that Jesus, that God loves a cheerful giver. So unless my heart's in it, like my heart's in it, I'm in it. I will give you everything. But the discipline of it, it feels just religious. And so I'm not going to do it. And I'm free. We're free in Christ. But the truth is, religious people, Jewish people, Christians, since the beginning of Christendom, have given money, have made it a discipline to give money to the church and to give monies to charity and to be generous. It's all in a whole, a total encompassing deal. And so there's just three quick things I think of how in the world do we tune our hearts to be more generous people. And the first one is simple. It's not very fun, but it's simple. It's just that we have to be disciplined in our regular giving. No one just wakes up one day and goes, I'm going to learn how to, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to go for a mountain, I'm going to go on a mountain biking ride or I'm going to do some great big physical uh, strength or I'm just going to all of a sudden, you know, play the guitar like John Beans. Wouldn't that be awesome? You're supposed to wake up and do that. It takes disciplined time day in and day out to do those things. And the same is true with our resources. We don't just one day and be like, I'm just going to be generous today. That's not how it works. We are disciplined. We daily and, and proportionally give of our time and resources, right, to the church, to charities and philanthropies that, that, that God has stirred in us, and we give to those things regularly. And all Christians, that's part of our call. Jesus doesn't say, 
right? He always says, you've heard it say this, but then he adds to it. He never takes away from the law. He says, no, it's not the law, but it's the heart behind the law. We, we do the law and we do the heart that's behind it. The second is this, that we have to tune our hearts uh, towards people who need charity. I don't know about you, but for me, I drive past a Target or a Costco and there's people always on the side of the road and they're holding up a little sign. I'm a vet, I'm a homeless, I need whatever. And I look at them and I just think, I'm a Levite, right? I give to the church, I give to charities. What's that person even going to do with the money? They're probably going to buy booze and I don't want to contribute to that. And right? I have all this way that I, self, um, that I talk myself out of it. I own my self-righteousness and I just drive away. But doing that day in and day out, my heart actually gets hard towards those people and they become backdrop people. And God does not want them to be backdrop people. God is counting on his people to be the front lines of charity, to see people in need and to give it to them. So we're disciplined in our giving. We practice charity as often as possible. Just think of it this way. This week, give up an ad shot in all of your morning coffees because you're not getting enough sleep. Sleep more, take those dollar bills, put them in your car, and when you see someone in need, practice charity. And third is, like, and I love this Samaritan, actually be somebody's answer to prayer. That person who got beat up on the side of the road, praying to God, God, would someone help me? Please help me. Well, God doesn't just show up in spirit and swoop that person and bring them to an end. It's someone who is moved by God, by the presence of God, to see that person and to answer their prayer. And there's people in our community, there's people in our world, there's people in your community and world who God is waiting for you to be the answer to their prayer. And that's only going to happen when we start holding our resources and our time loosely. So the first thing is that we're called to be generous with our resources. The second one is this, that we're called to be generous in our theology. Now, this week has been a really incredible week on a number of levels. I love politics. I've always loved politics. Um, I've watched more TV. I've read more commentaries. I've read more blogs. I like go into the deep net to find like the deepest, darkest, weirdest stuff. Like I am all in. And, um, and as I'm watching this, I'm, I'm, I'm just, my heart is so um, tense and it's so broiled up in me. And I'm just so disheartened, disheartened. And I and I'm, keep trying to think, God, why am I so disheartened? What is going on? It's just a transfer of power. You know, one side's happy, one side's not. What's really going on? And as I was reflecting, I, I, what, I, the conclusion I've come to is that it seems more and more that politics is becoming more and more like religion. And like the worst of religion, where this is what I believe, that's what you believe. And we become tribal. And when we become tribal, all of a sudden we have to defend what we believe at all costs. And truth and, uh, and hypocrisy and, you know, trying to speak truth to the, your own side's power, like it all gets lost because now you just defend your side at all costs. And watching the world spiral out and dehumanize people on the other side of, what, of the political divide has just been like horrifying and disheartening to me as a citizen. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it's been, I've been brokenhearted to watch my sisters and brothers kind of jump in and think that the political tribe is their true tribe and get caught up in this dehumanizing language of us versus them and those guys and use all this dehumanizing language and feeling self-justified in, in their own world. And it's human nature, like all humans, it's like it is in us. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, it is not about protecting our tribe at all costs. The story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus going, this Samaritan did it right. Imagine your political foe and Jesus coming to you and going, that person did it right. You're like, there's no way. You don't even know. That would be how offensive it was. 
And so when I think about this idea of being generous in our theology, the church, we are a tribe for sure. And at our worst, we have put up boundaries and we have dehumanized groups of people and we've made it impossible for them to know and love and experience the love of Christ because we are so in need of protecting Jesus and his theology. And Jesus even said, like when the little kids were coming to Jesus, you know, the disciples were trying to protect Jesus, protect him, protect him. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, get away from me. Let these children come and sit to me. Sit with me. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not saying that our theology is open and all things go. Like, Jesus is very clear in who he is and what he calls his church to be. Jesus is divisive and exclusive. Jesus calls his people to pick up their cross and follow him, to be on the narrow path. Jesus has a very, very high standard of life and theology, and it is no joke. And that's why we move towards him. But for those of us who are just members of the tribe, to be generous means that it is not on us to put a barrier up and someone has to come through me in order to come through Jesus. And we as the church need to change our attitude from being protective and elbowing people out and simply opening our arms wide and making space so that anybody from any context, from any race, from any socioeconomic group, from any gender, from any sexuality, from wherever they show up on the street to here, our arms are wide open to say, come and experience the love of God. Yeah. And how, oh, but how cool that Jesus can handle himself and we move towards Christ. And that's what we do. And so we have to die to tribalism. We have to die to tribalism. Our tribe is an open tribe. We must, must be generous with our theology. We must be generous with our resources. And finally, Haley's going to bring it home with being generous with our heart. So for this third point, we will see how this story isn't just about sharing our resources or a corrective rebuke to dehumanizing theology, but it's also about an invitation to extend our hearts towards others. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus teaches that the word neighbor refers to any fellow human being. This Samaritan understood what it meant to help someone in need, to be a neighbor, regardless of racial or social tensions. And Jesus teaches that when we do this, we lean into generosity. We lean into the person we're called to be. To be completely honest, for a while in my life, I never felt like I was good at anything. I was never the best athlete. I never got all A's in school, the best musician or the best dancer. And for a while, um, I just didn't know what I was good at. I felt less than, I didn't know what my exact purpose was, why I was here, what I was called to do. But even though I wasn't any of these one things, there was one thing that I always knew about myself, and that is that I love people. I feel compelled to love and connect with people. Because when I love people, I feel closest to God. And I learned that it's because that is what he calls us to do. He calls us to love our neighbors. Freshman year of high school, however, I suppressed this love inside of me. I was in a new place. I was nervous. I didn't know where I belonged, and I was scared. I held back my heart in fear of being different, of losing status, of not fitting in. I would come to school. I would sit with the same group of people, laugh with the same group of people. I would talk to the same group of people. I guess you could say that these people were seen as the cool kind of people, the exclusive ones that not everyone could be friends with. And at that time, I wanted to be associated with that. 
I limited myself to this group of girls. I didn't care about getting to know anyone else. I thought I was comfortable where I was, with this status and power. However, over time, I witnessed this group bully, exclude, and throw mean comments around, even to some of my friends. But I chose to only stand there and watch. I didn't choose to do anything at all. I didn't defend anyone. God was nudging me, but I only chose to keep my head down. Looking back freshman year, I realized that I was like the priest and Levite. I knew in my heart I was supposed to love my neighbor and the people around me, but instead I walked on the other side of the road. I guarded my heart. I didn't reach out to new people. I didn't stick up for those around me. I was a part of the exclusion. And that was when it hit me. This was not what I was meant to do. This was not the way I was meant to live. I realized that God was calling me to do something greater. In between my sophomore and junior year, a spark began to grow within me, and I decided I was going to strengthen my relationship with God. I got more involved at school, especially in campus ministry. I started to wake up early and go to mass. I sought out opportunities to lead retreats. I began having more conversations with God throughout the day. I turned the corner and followed my faith seriously. In between my sophomore and junior year, I, most importantly, let myself love. Not to just a restricted group of people, but to everyone. I extended myself, whether it was the cafeteria lady, a new boy in my math class, the awkward freshman, or a girl who sat alone. I began having conversations with people. And not just the, oh, what did you have for breakfast kind of conversations, but the meaningful ones, the ones that make you stop, the raw and vulnerable type of conversations that leave impacts on you. And through these relationships, I discovered that we aren't all too different from one another. We all carry things in our hearts. We all have fears, passions, desires, worries, dreams. No matter where you come from, no matter your eye color or what you like to wear, we're all made in the image of God. We're all worthy of this dignity and this love every single one of us. I love people, and what I've found is that the more I'm generous with people, the more I watch them come alive. But it's not me touching people. It is God working through me. It is His overwhelming grace and generosity that allows me to be generous with my heart, to reach out to others, to love others. Even the people who have hurt me or marginalized me it is God who gives me the grace to forgive them and to love them in return. I realized that God was calling me to be like the Samaritan, to take pity, to care for others, to bandage wounds. I must choose this unlimited loving kindness towards others and to show mercy. That this is what we are made to do, to love our neighbor who, no matter who it may be. This is not an easy act but one that is modeled to us by the, people by the one we follow. God is so generous with his blessings towards us. He has poured out his mercy and love towards us. While we are beaten up and abandoned on the road, he is the one who crossed the street and bandaged our wounds. It is Jesus who paid the price for our salvation and healing. We are so blessed. And as we come to know and experience God's generous heart towards us, 
we'll be more and more willing to extend the mercy and grace to others. But even on those days and seasons when we don't necessarily feel God's overwhelming goodness and grace, we still lean into being generous. Generous with our money, with our theology, and with our hearts. Because Jesus did that and taught us to do the same. Because we are followers of Christ. We will follow him on this well-worn path, and we can rest knowing that by being generous, we will know that we are marching along with all those who have gone before us. Yeah. Hey, before, yeah, everyone loves you. Um, before, we, before we wrap up our time, I just think what's so nice and interesting about this idea of generosity, the second that we stop holding on to what we are entitled or deserve or demand and give our resources and make space in our theology and our heart for people, uh, we have the opportunity to be encouraged and to grow and to be challenged in ways uh, that we never imagined. And I thought, oh, a generosity talk. And as, I, as Haley just took the reins, right, to be like rebuked and challenged and encouraged by a high school kid is a, is a gift, I think, for us and for our whole church. And so I thank you for just leaning in and, uh, and leaning hard to what God has to say in you and through you. So thank you for that, Haley. Um, we're going to close our, uh, with a time of quick prayer and a benediction, and then we'll call it quits, okay? Okay, okay go for it. Okay. Dear God, thank you for your overwhelming grace and your love that allows us to be generous with our hearts, with our resources, our theology. Thank you for bringing us all here together, no matter what we carry in our hearts, um, that we may offer it up to you, and that you will... Give us a peace and love and help us to forgive those who have wronged us. Help us to live out and be followers of you. And God, we pray that you would just continue to have your way with us. For we long to submit more and more of our lives to you. For you to heal us and to transform us. Help us to let go of the things that um, give us status or comfort or safety. And may we follow your example and be generous with all of who we are so that more and more people may come to know and experience your love and your grace. Amen. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? Okay, ready? Okay. 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 This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said... We will not walk in it. And may you continue to run after Jesus. And may these markers both affirm you as well as challenge you so that you may be generous with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. As we seek to love and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus, who deserves all honor and glory, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Go Packers.